Greetings, greetings, and welcome back to The Africanist, your favorite podcast. I am your host, Pam Manjai, and thank you for staying tuned for a new episode of The Africanist. To our colleagues and students, we hope your semester is going well so far. And as usual, do not forget to follow us on Facebook, formerly known as Twitter, at The Africanist P1 capital P and the number one. Follow us also on Facebook and email us if you have any interesting Africa and African diaspora-centered scholarships or projects you would like to share. Our email address is theafricanist2020 at gmail.com theafricanist2020 at gmail.com so today's episode is a mashup with the Ufahamu Africa podcast. And shout out to my colleagues Rachel Beatty Riedel and Kim Dion, co-hosts of the Ufahamu Africa podcast. So you can listen to the same episode on Ufahamu Africa. As you may know, on Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, Senegalese President Macky Sall signed a decree cancelling the presidential election scheduled for February 25, 2024. This is unprecedented. And two days later, lawmakers from the ruling coalition Benno Bokuyaka or BBY and their counterparts from the Senegalese Democratic Party or PDS formed an unusual coalition to pass a bill effectively postponing the elections for 10 months. This shocking development quickly sparked anger and condemnations from citizens, the political, religious and business circles, all of whom qualify the move as a constitutional coup and a gross violation of the democratic process. The decision to postpone the election was also condemned by the regime's strategic partners, including the civil society, ECOWAS, the African Union, the European Union, and the United States, among others. More importantly, the postponement sparked a new cycle of street protests, which is currently being violently repressed by the regime. Last weekend, the government briefly shut down internet and revoked the license of one of the country's most popular TV and radio station called Walfajri. On Friday, February 9, 2024, a student was killed at Gaston Berger University and several protesters were injured or arrested. So far, the protest movement has not shown any sign of slowing down as trade unions may call for a general strike in the coming days and opposition parties are attacking the president and parliament's decisions in court. Now, several questions come to mind. Why did President Sal cancel the election hours before the start of the campaign season? What are the implications of such a decision in the future of Senegal and the future of the West African region? Will President Makisal be allowed to remain in power past the official end date of his 
tenure, which is April 2nd, 2024. To answer these questions, you will listen to a conversation between Michelle Gavin, Rachel Peter Riddle, and myself, Bambanjai. Michelle Gavin is the Ralph Bunch Senior Fellow for Africa Policy Study at the Council on Foreign Relations, CFR. She has over 20 years of experience in international affairs, in government, and nonprofit roles. She was formerly the managing director of the Africa Center, a multidisciplinary institution dedicated to increasing understanding of contemporary Africa. From 2011 to 2014, she was the U.S. ambassador to Botswana and served concurrently as the U.S. representative to the Southern African Development Community, also known as SADC. Rachel B. Riedel is the director of the Inaudi Center and the John S. Knight Professor of International Studies and Professor in the Department of Government and Brooks School of Public Policy at Cornell University. Her research interest includes institutions in democracies and autocracies, local governance and decentralization policies, authoritarian regime legacies, democratic resilience, and religion and politics with a focus on Africa. She's also the co-host of Ufahabu Africa. And myself, Bamanjai, I'm an assistant professor of African studies at Emory University. And I am also the host of this very podcast. Now, without further ado, enjoy this conversation about the current situation in Senegal. So welcome. I'm here today joined by my guest, Michelle Gavin from the Council on Foreign Relations in Bamandiai at Emory University. And I'm so pleased to be able to have this conversation around what is happening in Senegal around the postponement of the presidential elections. So today we're going to start out with a little bit of an explainer about what is happening and then go deeper into why, what are the currents and what does it mean? Um, so Bamba, I want to start with you and then ask Michelle the same question. Um, can you explain for our listeners what is happening? Um, put it into some context um, for those who are who are following the situation and for those who are are new to the context. What's happening in Senegal right now? Uh, Rachel, thank you very much for uh, the invite. So over the weekend on uh, Saturday, February third, President Macky Sall addressed the nation and announced that he signed a new decree, basically uh, canceling the presidential election that was scheduled for February 25th, 2024. And the reason he gave was that there was an, or there is an ongoing conflict between the judiciary and parliament. In other words, uh, two judges from the, the constitutional court, Sheikh uh, Ngai and Judge Shaktijan Kulibali, were accused by lawmakers of the Democratic, Senegalese Democratic Party, also known as PDF. They were accused of corruption. And they also argue that these judges were corrupt by Amadouba, who is the current Prime Minister of Senegal and also 
the presidential candidate of the ruling coalition. And he, according to the lawmakers, corrupted these two judges in order to eliminate the presidential candidate of PDS, or the Senegalese Democratic Party, uh, Karim Wad. And Karim Wad is currently in exile in uh, Doha, if I'm not mistaken. The other argument he gave, that President Maxal gave, uh, was that there was another presidential candidate, this time Rose Wardini, who they found out had a double nationality, French and Senegalese. And per the constitution of Senegal, a presidential candidate can only be a Senegalese citizen. And according to Magisal, because of all of that, and also uh, the fact that many candidates who did not make it to the final list of presidential candidates also approached him uh, about uh, some uh, irregularities that they noticed in the endorsement process. And I can explain later on what this endorsement process is about and that they were not happy that they would disqualify. So he said all of those elements conquered to justify the cancellation of the presidential election. Now, this is unprecedented in the history of Senegal. Since 19, since Senegal became independent in 1960, there has never been a presidential election postponed or canceled. And it also happened in a very particular time because it was few hours before the campaign season started. And upon making that decision, which was shocking, yet not surprising, uh, President Makisal uh, thrusted the country once again into another spiral of, of violence and also resistance. And that's currently happening in Senegal. Bamba, thanks so much for that overview. So, Michelle, can you add on to that in terms of thinking about how this builds upon a certain context, uh, uh, you know, questions over Macky Sall's candidacy, whether or not he'd be seeking a third term, and the kind of dynamics around the ruling party candidate and, and opposition challenges? Sure. Well, first off, um, I'm so pleased to be joining you, Rachel and Bamba, uh, and so glad we're discussing this because uh, I know I'm deeply worried <laughs> about what's unfolding in Senegal, uh, and and I think that you both are as well. So one of the things that I find interesting about the way President Saul framed this when he made this, I completely agree, shocking announcement, um, uh, the framing was sort of, well, uh, you know, there are these outstanding questions and disputes as if this were some act of protecting Senegal's democracy. But there have been questions and disputes for quite some time, right? There, We had uh, a President Saul was reluctant to confirm that he would not run for a third term uh, for a very long time, uh, even in the face of uh, costly and damaging uh, protests on the streets as people were certain that he was going to try to do this. There, you know, this issue of uh, 
eligibility to contest for the presidency has is not something that just uh, popped up with this final list. Of, of course, you have Usman Sonko, and uh, who, who is a, uh, I'd say, in the populist mold, uh, very popular uh, in some quarters, a political figure who has been dealing with a number of uh, criminal allegations, judicial procedures, um, is is incarcerated now, uh, but this, you know, there have been questions about weaponizing the judiciary essentially to eliminate potent political opponents, and it's and it's not just Sanko, obviously, uh, and the, the case of Kareem Wad is another one. So these this context, right? It's been a couple of years of questions about whether or not President Saul would relinquish power, whether or not powerful opposition figures would be able to contest for the presidency. And the Senegalese people have repeatedly taken to the streets um, uh, in protest, obviously demonstrating concern, right, around the fairness and integrity of these processes uh, heading into elections. And it's all just so incredibly ironic in some ways because President Saul himself came to power uh, buoyed uh, essentially by a movement that was rejecting his predecessor's attempt to cling on and 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 you know seek a a third term uh and there was a lot of concern in that initial uh political wave that brought Macky Sall to power about uh manipulation of Senegal's democracy and now here we find ourselves in this unprecedented territory uh but it's it's president Saul who appears uh to be the manipulator Absolutely. I think that's so well put and particularly, you know, thinking about the ways in which these questions about eligibility are really at the heart of a contestation over the role of the judiciary or other bodies that determine candidate eligibility and their role in democracy. And so I want to pose both of you the question about, you know, in reality, the way in which uh, the judicial process has worked and the president's ability to issue a decree about when the elections will be held and then supporting that decree through the National Assembly vote to, to say, yes, these elections will be postponed, they will be held December 15th, uh, many months from now. And so I'm wondering, you know, the use of the institutional bodies uh, the judiciary, the National Assembly, the executive's decree power. Is it part of a broader trend of using nominally democratic institutions and procedures to pursue executive aggrandizement or to pursue the postponement and prolongment of the current president uh, Macky Sall's tenure to potentially weaken opposition? How do you see the technical use of these other bodies to, uh, as a part of 
Senegal's democracy overall. As Michelle noted, the citizens are protesting, the opposition are protesting, and yet in a technical manner, uh, we could be saying these are democratic institutions kind of being used in, in, in proper form. Bamba, how do you see that, that question? Yeah, I think here the term that I would use and excuse the repetition is misuse. They are misusing uh, these institutions. I think the spirit of these institutions are quite noble if they work the way they should, but if they are weaponized as they have been uh, in the last few years, it becomes problematic. And the weaponization of the justice system has not started with Makisal, but he has taken it to really unprecedented levels. And what is ironic is that in his address, he alludes to the separation of power, right? Uh, but we know there's no separation of power in the Senegalese context. The president is also the head of the judiciary. In any respectable democracy, that should not be you know, the case. You cannot be the head of the executive and the judiciary. He also yields tremendous amount of power in, in parliament. So, and on top of that, you can see, especially in the last three years, as Michelle mentioned, people like Sonko, right? Uh, Basiru Jamai Fai, who is uh, the presidential candidate of the uh, dissolved Pastev party. Uh, the way they were incarcerated and also the way artists, activists, right, protesters have been incarcerated left a lot to be desired about the Senegalese judiciary. We have a double standard uh, in the judiciary. If you are against the president and the regime, uh, you could be locked up for anything as simple as Facebook post or an emoji or a WhatsApp message, right? Um, but if you are close to the regime or part of the regime, uh, you 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 basically get a free card. We have so many scandals that had been revealed, uh, financial scandals. I'm thinking of uh, someone like Mamou Jallo, who was accused of embezzling 94 uh, billion CFA. And there was no investigation about about that. Um, the former minister of tourism, Mambeña, also there were allegations of mismanagement and embezzlement of a large sum of money. And who gets to be the victim, right? Usman Songo for defamation. And that's actually what they used to rule him out of the final list, or a final list of candidates. So what is happening right now is in Senegal is there is like an encroachment um, in the judiciary, in the also the 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 uh, legislative, and what the legislative power has done uh, over the weekend or on Monday is also unprecedented because the legislative power, according to some legal analysts, they cannot they cannot uh, MPs cannot investigate uh, the constitutional court. They have a way to regulate. The judiciary has a way to regulate itself. And what we have seen, unfortunately, under Makisal is that, you know, 
there is no respect for the law when it comes to members of the regime because also only the constitutional court has the ability to pronounce itself a matter of postponement or cancellation of the election. The president does not have that power. And Article 103 of the Constitution is clear. Uh, a constitutional revision, even if, if it was allowed, does not concern or cannot concern the duration of the term or, or, or the number of terms. But Maki Sall and his government just overlooked all of that and basically did whatever they could to keep themselves in power. So as we speak right now, I think, well, democracy is dead. <laughs> There's a complete demise of democracy. And the judiciary is not necessarily, you know, uh, functioning the way it should. And we are, I am curious to see in the coming days what the constitutional court is actually going to do because um, the opposition has introduced uh, resolutions to ask the constitutional court to strike down the decree and also the law that has just been passed in the National Assembly. Ministre plein, DG, DG général, directeur de campagne, ministre de l'Intérieur, président assemblée, premier ministre, Yangé Sunidara, Moussou Faïdara, Sénégal, Messel Trodara. C'est Gaspillage de notre fric, institution budgétivore, clientélisme politique, vie de souillé caisse trésor, maquinec, cas d'école, n'y a pas de gouvernement, So that would be returning the power to the Constitutional Court to set and determine the election date. Now, Michelle, this relates to what you were just kind of referring to as well, that Maki Sal is, it's a bit ironic because of the way in which he himself came to power by contesting an incumbent who was technically, legally going for a third term. Um, and now those questions have been swirling. So too, is it ironic because when he was, uh, Maki Sall was originally running for president in that context, he said that it would be completely impossible for the current president then to extend his term by even one day, right? So how do you see this kind of use of democratic institutions in this context? Well, I completely agree that misuse is the right uh, word and and in some cases weaponization is the right word. And I 
I find this so incredibly dangerous <laughs> because once you've dressed up authoritarian machinations in democratic clothing, it's nearly impossible to have the kind of public trust in governing institutions that is, you know, sort of an essential ingredient of a functioning democracy. So once it it feels like any one leader's self-interest can be um, uh, given the window dressing of institutional legitimacy, it's it's difficult to understand why citizens should go out and vote, why they should try to hold representatives responsible, because it all feels like a, an elaborate uh, piece of theater. So I think this is incredibly dangerous. I was interested to see... Um, the U.S. government seizing on this question about whether or not the legislative uh, vote to establish a December date was legitimate or not, given that security forces had had um, removed some opposition lawmakers uh, uh, from the scene before the vote was taken. So I found that interesting because clearly there's an attempt to externally to try and kind of claw back the legitimacy of these institutions and and try to point to the most glaring possible ways in which um, procedures weren't actually quite followed and this is not quite right. So that's a really, you know, it's a great question because it's it is, you know, what are the technical aspects that people focus on um, and to, to show that it's not right? And how do citizens respond? I mean, we've seen a lot of citizen protests, citizens expressing concern. And I think one of the big questions in Senegal is, do citizens come out to vote or, or continue to participate within the democratic institutional arena, as well as keep that kind of extra institutional activity of protest and social mobilization alive as, you know, keeping the pressure kind of on both fronts and how does that play out? Now, in Senegal, the voters do have the experience of voting against presidents who wish to stay on, right? So this is one of the great strengths of Senegal's democracy. Bamba, do you think that is, you know, from citizen perspective, do you think that's likely to to continue to fuel democratic engagement versus exit and disillusionment? I think Senegalese people are more determined than ever to restore democracy. And I mean, seriously, to, to remove this regime, if you look at the mobilization that is currently happening on the ground, it's going to be very hard for president to <laughs> for the president to make it all the way to December. Like I, I just think that it's, it might be impossible. As we speak, trade unions have met and like they have decided to call on a general strike tomorrow, starting at ten which haven't happened under the Microsoft regime. So I think that's a, a, a sign that the pressure is coming. And you also have the, the church, the Catholic church, um, the League of Imams also released a statement and they took a stand against um, the constitutional coup that just happened. You have civil society, they just formed another uh, collective called Arsunyu 
I think it's called Arsene Election, meaning protecting our election, uh, that gathers opposition parties, um, civil society, uh, protest movements, and they are going to also coordinate live action. And on top of that, as you mentioned, the United States, for instance, released a uh, State Department released a, a statement uh, calling for the respect of constitutional order as well as the restoration of the internet, which I think since then has been backed. Uh, but you have ECOWAS that, you know, um, released a new statement because the first one was quite weak and very ambiguous and really not, not condemning, uh, the coup that just happened. And I think also the European Union has similarly done, uh, taken similar steps this morning. So, the pressure is coming from everywhere. On top of that, the people that I've talked to and seen uh, on TV and talked to over the phone, they are extremely determined to be out there and fight this 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 coup. So I really think that he has no chance of or very little chance of making it all the way to December 2024. Plus, you have a big fringe of the, uh, a big segment of the society that said that after April 2nd, which is the official and date of his term, he will be considered illegitimate. He cannot represent Senegal anywhere and he cannot sign off of, sign off on anything in the name of Senegal. So it's going to be, uh, very hard months coming up for the regime. Absolutely. I think that that end date of his term really kind of creates this focal point. And in particular, it may create a focal point for international bodies or international actors in terms of diplomacy. So Michelle, kind of thinking about, as Bamba mentioned, the U.S. role, response, potential interventions, how do you see the international domain writ large and U.S. action in particular, as well as um, regional bodies like ECOWAS or or others, do they have a role to play and, and are they influential at this point? The question of, of influence is a, a really interesting one. I think, you know, for actors like the U.S., they have no choice but to try their best um, to influence the situation and, and essentially get a return to constitutional order in Senegal, not because uh, the U.S. has, a, you know, a particular fondness for one candidate over the other, but, uh, you know, in in the broader frame of democratic backsliding, rising authoritarianism, this rash of coup d'etat we've seen in the region, the notion of Senegal's democracy getting wobbly is an incredibly worrying trend, right? This has been such a resilient society. All the polling shows that Senegalese people still very much value democracy, but are very frustrated with how it's been working. Uh, and so, you know, from a geopolitical lens, uh, from this notion uh, that the Biden administration has laid out that they they want to champion and defend democracy, the idea of sitting on one's hands or sort of making accommodations isn't is is a no go. And um, but at the end of the day, 
external influence is limited. Um, you know, I think ECOWAS uh, is struggling right now with the exit of, of several of the now military-led uh, countries and, and the fact that, you know, they've now had this experience of laying out an ultimatum in the case of Niger's coup and then having to walk it back kind of embarrassingly. It, it, it looks a bit a paper tiger and, and the most powerful countries in West Africa are very uh, internally focused right now uh, with limited appetite um, for devoting a, a lot of energy time resources to these regional issues. So in, in one sense, I think, uh, the leaders of ECOWAS are, are keenly aware that the regional, the sub-regional organization's um, credibility is a bit shaky right now, and they they want to take a firm stand. But I think also are aware of the limits of their influence. Um, but there's, you know, there isn't really another good choice but to try their best um, to uh, to nudge. Senegal sort of back into regular order. Autoritaire, fi rien ne marche. Administration partisane et militante. Ce DGEP dans les justices. Guénélin Gaïtidje. Plus de 1000 détenus. Excédazel, enquête bouillac, voilà douillac, nervi tiré, akbal réel, procureur top, dilenko, layal, justice mel ne marionnette, major telma malonnette, parba, molo, quel sey malet, parba, le grand guirio au malet, dougal aï énergumène assemblé. Diwak force occulte ta armée palélenko commandé dictateur ton masque tombé mandat de po mandat robo capot le dépose po isai de po régime capolé programme tacalé projet capoté surfacturé nu andende avenir saboté état policier ablai tué torturé tiré maté maltraité chalenga de flen bouclier chaque jour quotidien il a jambalié un petit poste faux débat mensonge d'état mortel combat te ya joué à Cuba Organiser l'élection, il y a une sélection. Tout son peuple n'est pas là. Il y a des milliards qui sont là. Audit Covid scandale. Réumi a été divisé. Les bébés calcinés sont là. Ils sont universités. Yeah, it's it's exactly that question. You know, both, I think, as Bambo was saying, on the domestic side and on the external side, no one wants to sit passively. Um, and then the question is, okay, so what actions and who can work together in partnership to really put the pressure on to, to resolve this moment of, you know, self-created crisis? Um, so on that, you know, Bamba, I wanted to turn to you and think a little bit about the role of the ruling party in this moment. I think it's actually a really interesting kind of internal dynamic story. So we know Maki Sal, as, as Michelle was saying, has had this kind of ongoing question, this kind of uh, delayed ability to say that he certainly was not running for a third term. And then in doing so, uh, appointing or kind of nominating his successor, the current prime minister. Um, now, the sense within the ruling party seems to be that there's some degree of factionalization or split in internal support for, you know, this kind of successor plan and candidate in particular, um, Minister Amadou Ba. And so, um, in, in part, we see that because BBY, the ruling party, uh, was part of this, um, 
allegation of corruption against the constitutional court members, right? And saying that uh, Prime Minister Ahmadou Bob was was at the heart of that um, corruption allegation. So what is happening within the ruling party and how do you see support for Prime Minister Ahmadou Bob's uh, candidacy? Is he uh, unlikely to ultimately run for election? And is this all just a big stall to allow BBY to select a new candidate? Yes, I think it's it's the latter. Ahmadou Bob is not popular at all. They tried to impose him to the voters several times, and it hasn't worked. He cannot mobilize enough, even when he goes out to, you know, inaugurate things, or he just doesn't draw people. He's not charismatic either, uh, compared to other prime ministers or opposition leaders. And as you mentioned, there's a huge infighting within uh, Benno Bokuyaka or BBY. And because a faction of the coalition does not support Amoruba, he is not unanimous uh, within the party. And then they also thought that there were more charismatic and more competitive leaders within the party who should have been the candidates, such as Bun Abdullah John, the former prime minister, right? Or Abdullah Daoud Rajallo, who was the former, I think, minister of interior. So that dynamic has played into this coup because those who supported Amadouba seemed like they wanted to go on with the election. And those who were not... <laughs> in support of him and didn't think that he would do well, they are actually the ones who pushed uh, or, or this, this, this constitutional coup. Um, now, the, the other thing is, if they are consistent with themselves, and if they really genuinely concerned about the alleg uh, corruption allegations, well, President Michael should have either fired or ask him to resign. And so far, neither has happened. So what does that say about his justification? What does it say about Senegalese democracy? Now, I don't know if this will change much, like the fact of postponing the election would change much in terms of the election outcome. It's going to be extremely hard. And I would say mathematically impossible for them to win the election, given that since 2012, their electorate has been dwindling. The last during the last election, I think they scored about um, 40, 45 percent, 46 in the legislative election, and since then they have alienated the electorate so much that it's going to be hard for them to even make it to 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 the first round. And on top of that, he's adding this. This coup, I just think that um, no matter what President Makisal in his camp does, it's going to be extremely hard for them to win the upcoming elections. Yeah, Michelle, do you see that as well with the kind of fatigue of the incumbent, the questions of internal succession? 
Absolutely. And, and the, you know, increasingly sort of clumsy uh, machinations. And so for me, the question I keep asking myself is, what was he thinking? What, what is the game plan here? Because I absolutely agree with you, analysis. It'd be very difficult to hang on until December. So how, uh, I ask myself, was the president, um, getting incredibly bad advice? Was he somehow so removed, so in a bubble that he couldn't read the room? Because this is, this does not seem like a sort of tenable strategy. That's exactly. So, you know, on one hand, if we think that his real desire is to hang on to power for as long as possible, then one could see how we got to where we are. But if his desire is to successfully appoint a successor and have that successor elected, then, uh, you know, we're in <laughs> on a very wrong pathway. Bamba, what do you think is going on um, to answer that question? What is he thinking? I don't think he's thinking at all um, because uh, an intelligent president would, would just let the election go on and, you know, come what may. But now what he has done is, of course, angered his people, angered the international community. And from this point on, he has zero credibility. Um, I don't know what he was planning to do after his tenure, but it's going to be hard to even see him out there uh, or to, to, to convert you know, himself into something else, right? So people were floating the idea of him potentially running for uh, a, a UN seat or things like that. I don't think people's going to let him do that after what just happened, right? So maybe he, he might just retire and write books and something like that. But um, the reality is um, the division is very profound within his body. The little electorate they had is now divided among several candidates. Boon Abdullah John is a candidate and he is a pillar of Beno Bokuyaka. You also have uh, Ali Gunjai who also left the coalition and he is a pillar of the movement, of the coalition. Similarly, you have uh, someone like uh, Mamboy Jao who also left in and, and Mimi Ture, uh, uh, the former prime minister. So all of that has taken or, you know, away from the electorate of, of Benno Bokiata. And something else important to mention is that there are parties within his coalition, the leftist parties within his coalition, that also released a statement against the cancellation of the election. So mm -hmm. we can expect you know, even more departures from the coalition. On top of that, you two important, two other important pillars of uh, the regime who left, Abdul, uh, Abdul Latif Koulibaly uh, left the government, he resigned. And more recently, we have um, uh, the former minister of, of health, Eva Marikolsek, who also resigned. And you have other people, you know, calling for wondering what, what, what Makisao is doing, like Zara Ian Cham, for instance. 
So all of that combined, I just do not see how he's going to make it out of this situation unscathed. I just don't see that. I think you raised such a good point, both in terms of the, you know, the kind of splitting off is both a cause and a, a symbol, you know, an indicator of the deep problems that Maki Sal faces and, you know, what's left of the BBY. But um, you also raised the point of what happens to a president? What are their prospects as they're leaving office? And particularly for presidents who are toying with the ability to stay on, we know, look, looking across the world, um, that um, if presidents have good prospects to leave the presidency and then, you know, be the elder statesman, be the global, you know, peacemaker and dignitary, that is a, one more factor that can really help them to want to leave a democratic credential legacy. Um, and interestingly, with Maki Sall, despite all of his hesitation and unwillingness to say he wasn't going to run for a third term and how that was creating all of this internal consternation, his treatment of opposition, you know, jailing of Osman Zonko, when he finally announced, I'm not going to run for a third term, he was still celebrated on that international stage. And so it looked like that route was very open um, and kind of welcoming to him. And so I wonder how you see, Michelle, his, his prospects changing. Do you think doors are closed? Uh, or is there still a kind of exit ramp for him? I, if there is a, an exit, it's, you know, getting narrower and, and narrower. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it was, frankly, quite deliberate, the warm reception that came in the wake of him finally saying he would not seek a third term, um, intending to incentivize him and signal, right, that... Uh, there would be a, a set of compelling opportunities uh, going forward. And we there are many good examples, as you say, around the world and right in the neighborhood of, of West Africa. The good luck, Jonathan, springs to mind. Um, you know, President Wea, who just uh, transferred power uh, in Liberia, has probably got the best reputation he's had in a while, uh, just, just by the act of allowing the will of the voters to stand and and you know he he has um, obviously plenty of personal wealth and and can do what he likes but there there are clear examples to to follow so I ask myself ex exactly this question what is the future for Maki Sal uh, both in this immediate sense of the period from now until apparently elections in December uh, with a 
you know, with his support dwindling and in- increasingly united um, electorate uh, angry about this kind of uh, usurping of their uh, democratic process. But then after that, uh, it, it's worrisome, right? Because that in some ways, once one crosses the Rubicon uh, far enough, then you're, you're left in the autocrats club. Uh, and, and there are global forces, right. That are interested in, in um, expanding that club and, and making it uh an appealing option. So I am in no way, in no way suggesting that there is some external hand uh, behind this. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think there are many external parties who've been trying for a while to signal what the future might look like, um, depending on kind of fidelity to the democratic process. Absolutely, right. And that that warm reception itself is part of that signaling. Um, So let me end by posing you both the question of What's next? I know it's so hard to look into our crystal balls, but what do you see as possible pathways forward? What might be your best case scenario? Um, as as Bamba was alluding to, he sees it hard to make it to December elections. Um, so could something you know be resolved sooner and and that handover take place? Um, what's the likely worst case scenario there? You know, Michelle was just alluding to the autocratic entities around the world who who might also be you know supportive of a, a worst case scenario and and what do you see as the most likely scenario Bob I'm going to ask you first well I think what should happen right now what is urgent is for him to come back to reason and number one free the political prisoners he must free Basiru Jamaifai he must free Usman Sonko people who was saying, oh, Sonko was the problem, Sonko was the problem. Now Sonko is in prison and we see how things turned out. So those must come out of prison. They must be freed. He must free the activists uh, and the artists, the journalists in prison. The political prisoners must come out. That's number one. Equally important, he needs to restore the constitutional order. The constitutional court will pronounce itself on the matter, hopefully in the coming days. And we hope that they will choose the right side of history. Now is the time, is, is the time for the constitutional court to redeem itself. And then he has no other choice but leave the government and, 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 and the country in good hands because he found a peaceful country when he came to power. Um, the election in 2012 was, was tense, but President Watt accepted his defeat and handed him a, a country in order. And he has an obligation to hand Senegal back to the Senegalese people in order. So th- that's the best case scenario. Now, we don't want what happened in, nobody wants that, what happened in Burkina Faso in 2014 or what happened in some neighboring countries recently to happen there. And that would be the worst case scenario. So I'm, this is a call to President Makisal. Please come back to reason, restore the constitutional order, free the political prisoners, and leave us in peace. 
Yeah, fantastic. So well said in terms of, you know, what every democratic citizen asks of their president to allow that process to the citizens and the votes to to make the call for the next leader. Michelle, what do you see as likely? Um, this may be the rare case where I'm I'm optimistic that that perhaps um, the vigor and uh, scope of condemnation of this decision, right, might prompt a rethink sooner rather than later. Uh, and things can get more or less back on track. Um, the worst case, yes, certainly a military intervention would be disastrous. Um, and, and Senegal has a very proud tradition of, of civil military relations that uh, respect the constitutional order. I I am very concerned about violence in the context of um, these protests uh, that are unquestionably coming, and we have seen violent um, confrontations uh, in the the context of demonstrations uh, over the past few years. And so I'm concerned about uh, loss of life. I'm concerned about frustration and anger at government um, undermining. Uh, this sort of uh, general social compact that that uh, is respectful of norms and the rule of law. Um, and I'm concerned that Senegal's young people, uh, that this experience will leave them distrustful and um, cynical about democracy. And I think those would be terrible outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've all discussed the ways in which Senegal's voting history, engagement, and claiming democracy has been such a proud tradition and really, you know, gotten the outcomes uh, that, that were desired in terms of alternation and holding governments accountable and allowing new voices to be represented. So um, let us hope that that continues to be the case and uh, citizens and um, activist leaders alike continue to engage towards that pathway. Bamba and Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us, your thoughts, and um, and particularly in you know wishing for the best for Senegal together. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Michelle. Thank you, Rachel. And we wish the best for Senegal. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Luttons pour la paix. Condiamo Africa, mon lion. Manejamo Africa, moi sonyo na tangue.